Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reiki Radio. I am your host, Yolanda Williams. And today we have a special guest, Fran Stina. And Franz is the author of several books, including a book we're going to discuss today called The Inner Heart of Reiki, Rediscovering Your True Self. And Franz, you're based in Australia, is that correct? Indeed, yeah, I'm based in Australia, but I I teach all over the world, so I I feel more like a world citizen. Yes, (laughs) and actually Franz is currently in San Francisco, so... And we'll talk about where you're going to be um, in the next few months throughout this country. And Franz is also the co-founder of the International House of Reiki. Um, But before we get started, I just want to let all of you know, if you have any questions for Franz, be sure to call 323-679-0953 and press the number one so that we know you have a question or you can post any questions in the chat room. So Franz, Thank you for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Yolanda. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. I was telling um, friends before we got on the line how much I enjoyed this book. Um, again, it's called The Inner Heart of Reiki, and it really resonated with me and my personal practice and so many things that I hadn't heard before. So um, one of the things I wanted to ask you before we start talking about the book is what your journey with Reiki has been. How did that begin for you? How did you start on this path? Uh, ooh, now that's a, that's a good question. <laughs> um, well, it's an interesting journey. I was never really into all of this. Uh, and when I was 30, we moved to, I, I'm originally from the Netherlands. Okay. And when I was 30, we moved to India. And I suffered from when I was about 16 onwards uh, from chronic uh, back problems. And the doctors had always said, oh, you know, like that's going to be for the rest of your life and it only gets worse when you get older, etc." And it did. And so when we were in India, we were in the Himalayas and <clears throat> I was laying in bed and my partner was sightseeing and I think, wow, this is a bit crazy. I'm 30. I can hardly walk and carry my backpack and I on that time I made a decision to do something for myself and one thing led to another I started to buy different books I met uh, a local Himalayan healer who did something for me and and then one of the books I bought was a Reiki book and I started to read it and I thought well, it would be interesting. And then I met a Reiki teacher in Kathmandu, Nepal and did my first classes there. And then we opened up a Reiki center in Darjeeling and we did treatments there on the local community for a year, which oh. was absolutely wonderful. Wow. Okay. And so with everything that you've done, because like you've said, you get to travel the world and teach Reiki. And again, in reading the book, I see that it is is so much about our own growth, our own journey, and learning about our true self, which is in the title. But in your personal practice, what have you discovered Reiki to mean or be? What does it mean to you or what is it to you? 
Well, for me, really, it's actually really simple. And for me, if I really think about it, it, it goes back to the precepts that I feel less angry in my life. I feel less worried in my life. I feel more happy, kind. I feel more true my way and my being. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really more about that embodying of the precepts, what I feel has... Uh, has created a kind of a, a lighter front and a happier front. And through that, um, my physical body has responded to that. Right. Right. And so in the book, you did talk about that, how the five um, precepts, but you also spoke about the five signposts of discovering the true self. And yeah. you know, I found that to be very interesting. And I wondered if you could share some more about that with us. Well, one of the really interesting things for me about Mikusui is um, is that I think there is so much more to know about him and his teachings. And right. for example, uh, I just uh, posted a little quote on my Facebook page from Mrs. Takata. And Mrs. Takata has been said on a tape that uh, whilst he was in Japan, in, uh, when she was alive, that he met with some really traditional Reiki teachers who studied with Mikasui, and that he uh, said it was highly complex, it requires years of training, and it was closely intertwined with religious practices. And mm-hmm. what is really interesting to, from that perspective, we can see that A, if it was really closely intertwined with these religious practices, not to say that the system of Reiki is religious, but right. that it really was about um, you having a religious experience. And from yes. this religious experience, we can therefore help other people. So I always see it that, you know, for me to help others, I need to be a very clear vehicle. And if I'm not a very clear vehicle, then it becomes very difficult. Very Are you still there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I, yeah, I am. <laughs> no, the, 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 the computer made a funny sound, and so suddenly I thought of it, it just went gone, but you're still there, that's good. <laughs> no, no, I'm so, still so the here. Five, that's good. The five pillars for me are, sort of, or the five signposts is uh, the precepts, meditation, hands-on healing, symbols and mantras, and the initiation, or sometimes called attunement or reju. And by applying these five signposts, and I call them signposts or because they, they're all point spiritual energy. And often we see this very external as if, as if it hangs somewhere outside in the sky. But if we actually really look deeper and we apply these five signposts on a daily practice, then we start to rediscover, oh, I am spiritual energy. It is not something right. external of me. Yeah, and the book speaks to that a lot, and it's so beautifully done. And, you know, given the title of the book at first, I thought, okay, maybe this will be very helpful to Reiki practitioners. But after reading it, I realized it's a great book for anyone who's really interested in connecting with themselves on deeper levels or anyone is, who's interested in discovering what you call the true self. So yeah. in your 
experience and what you are expressing in the book, what does that mean to you, the true self? Uh, I really like Mika Sui's metaphor um, because he, in, in his Reiki level three, he used a symbol and a mantra. And if you literally translate, it's the great bright light. And mm-hmm. I had a discussion actually uh, this morning with my teacher in Japan uh, by email. And uh, we were talking about the true self and, and he was saying, and, and I really like those kind of teachings. He was saying, you know, when we talk about the true self, sometimes that can be a little bit difficult for people because it's such a a wide subject. You know, we can say, what does it right. mean? And we can debate about it. And so uh, in Japanese, they they have a word for it. What is, um, is really interesting is it, not meaning the true self, but if you kind of... Um, he, he was saying that sometimes when we, when we talk too much about the true self, we come to something what is in Japanese, what is called keron. And keron, if you translate it, means like a useless argument. <laughs> and because sometimes then we go, no, this is the true self. And another person said, no, no, this is the true self. And therefore we get right. kind of carried away. But what is really wonderful to see that in those teachings of Mikasui and what was very common at that time in Japanese esoteric teachings, that instead of saying true self, we can say, let's use a, use a metaphor, like a symbolic representation of that true self. So the symbolic representation of the true self is, uh, is the great bright light. And I like it because we cannot always do hands-on healing. Uh, imagine driving a car. You cannot put your hands on your eyes to do hands-on healing. We cannot right. always chant a mantra either because when I'm talking to you, I cannot chant a mantra. We cannot always receive an initiation. We cannot always uh, recite a precept. But we can always rest our mind in that great bright light. And that Mm -hmm. great bright light is the light of the universe where there is no beginning and end. So if we see it as there is no beginning and end, then Yolanda's great bright light is touching my great bright light at the same time. So in fact, we're all touching each other at the same time in that space of love and compassion. Right. And so that goes into the the non-duality too and recognizing our connectedness and our oneness, which you also talk a lot um, about in the book and things that comes up a lot with Reiki. A lot of people are focused on, of course, the healing aspect. And you wrote about the meaning of healing and how our mind, our body, and our energy all tie into that. So I also Mm -hmm. wanted to know if you could share some information with us about that. Yeah, in Japanese it's called sanmitsu, and sanmitsu it means uh, mind, body, and speech. And speech is sometimes seen also as energy. So we can say mind, yeah. body, and energy. And we, we kind of really already know that. You know, if you see an angry person walking, so the anger is in the mind, then yes. we can see that in their body. Their body is really tired, the body is really tense, so therefore it's also in their energy. And... Uh, for me, they're all kind of interconnected, 
with each other. But Mm -hmm. the most important thing is the mind. And I think this is sometimes not often talked about in the system of Reiki by Reiki teachers because we only talk often about energy and maybe what we see. We can see a color or we can feel some tingling or some heat or some other kind of sensation. But in essence, for me, it's really about the mind. And we can, we can really clearly see that in Mikasui's system. Uh, if we look at the precept, do not anger, do not worry, uh, be grateful, be true to your way and your being, and show compassion to yourself and others, then that is really all about the mind. It doesn't say yes. feel, feel energy, doesn't say put your hands on someone. It's really all about the mind. And... Um, if we look at uh, the mantras of Chokurei, uh, Seheki, Honsasei and Daikomyo, and if we look at it from a traditional Japanese perspective, they actually also all point towards a state of mind. And mm-hmm. the state of mind is so important because if my mind is calm, then my energy is calm. And if my mind is calm, then also my body becomes more calm. Right. So if I want to do it, if I want to help someone and my mind is agitated during the treatment or I'm constantly judging and labeling and analyzing during the treatment, that means my, my mind is constantly busy, then it also means my energy is always busy. So therefore, for my client to really start to relax and feel peaceful and going to their great bright light will be very difficult. You know, it's interesting you say this because um, in my experience, I believe Reiki is a very meditative practice, but you also talk about the power of meditation and the importance of this practice in connection to building, you know, our spiritual energy and having that self-connection. So can you talk a little bit about that aspect of meditation and how that ties into all of this and even how that helps us with meditation? what we hold in our mind or what we're connected to by going into that state of practice. Yeah, I, I, I could try something. It's a little bit hard because it's radio and it's internet, you know, but I, I do this yeah. often when I, I give a, a live talk. And for example, we have the precepts and within the precepts, uh, often it says, well, you know, people say recite the precepts three times. So for mm-hmm. me, reciting is, is really wonderful and it can help, but reciting is very different than kind of chanting it or really uh, from a meditative space. So mm-hmm. maybe what I do, maybe a little experiment, if you don't mind, Yolanda, yeah, is, uh, of course. is, is I, will, I will recite the precepts uh, three times in Japanese and, um, and then I will chant it for you and, and see if we kind of can feel or sense a difference in a way. And I will okay. chant it with my mind uh, a little bit uh, different. So when I recited, my mind might think about what I'm going to do tonight and see if we can find a difference. So here I go. I will recite okay. the precepts in Japanese. So, Ikaruna simpaisuna kansha shite kyo hakeme hito ni sensetsu ni Kyo dake wa ikaruna sinpaisuna kansha shite kyo hakeme hito ni sinsetsu ni 
So this kind of reciting, but if I chant it, it becomes for me something quite different. Here I go. Okay. And now I'm concentrating my mind even more so. So for me, I, I always feel that, that we, we kind of all know that if I drive a car and I'm distracted, then I'm probably more likely to have an accident. I'm still driving the car, but if right. I'm driving the car and I'm really focused, then the car driving becomes something quite different. And therefore, if I do hands-on healing and my mind is all over the place, Therefore, my energy is all over the place. But if my mind is really focused during a treatment or during a chanting of the precepts, then it becomes more a meditative practice. I have Could you to feel say, that difference? Listening to you, yes. Listening to you say um, say it the first time, you know, I naturally I closed my eyes and I connected with it because I I know to say the principles in that same way. And I did feel something, but you, yeah. I, I didn't really realize what a significant difference until you started the chanting, and it felt bigger, like this full embodiment where I could feel the energy of it in my entire space. So I, it made a big difference, even, yeah, you talk about the non-duality and without having separation <laughs> and how we're connected. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, yeah. there was a very clear difference. Yeah, so for me, really, I mean, yeah, I think also if we really think about it, uh, um, for me, my my most important thing is really about teaching uh, about Mikasui. I mean, a lot of people Mm -hmm. focus about Hayashi or Mrs. Takata, but my main focus is really about Mikasui. And so Mikasui is set to go to Mount Karama for 21 days and meditated for 21 days without water and food. And then he, he really connected to that Reiki within himself. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he's the example. And so my, my teacher in Japan, he always keeps emphasizing, you know, if, if Mikasui connected to Reiki, your true self, true meditation practices, then we have to do exactly the same thing. We cannot, you know, just say, oh, throw a magic symbol in the air and suddenly it's there. Um, right. We have to go through that same process. And uh, it's a really wonderful process. And uh, when we look at, 
the symbol center mantras, for example, uh, the Japanese word for Reiki too is okudun. And okudun means inner or hidden teachings. And the word itself already said, stated, okudun, hidden or inner teachings. It's not something hidden in the symbol or hidden in the cupboard. It's actually pointing out traditionally what is hidden inside of yourself. And that is right. something we need to rediscover. So therefore, we need to use those symbols and mantras internally because I need to find what is hidden inside of myself. But if I use the symbols and mantras externally, then it becomes much harder to find what is hidden internally within myself, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And it's so great that you bring this up because I think a lot of people have an idea that if they get a Reiki attunement or, you know, just coming to a class, almost like, you know, just a button is pushed and you don't have to do any practice after that. Like you just, you know, something was turned on and that's it. There's nothing more to it. But you do talk about, and, you know, we talk about this on the show a lot, the benefits of our personal practice and this dedicated practice and how Mm -hmm. it also helps us to discover our own way. That was one of the things I have to say in reading your book. I was so thankful that, you know, like, yes, someone said this and, you know, we have certain practices in place that can help us to, you know, discover our own way. But can you talk about that, the the importance of our personal practice and how it does help us to understand and discover ourselves like far beyond what we may be taught in class? Yeah, I mean, I think that is a really important element uh, for me and my teachings. And that's one of the reasons I'm going to Japan in May for three weeks uh, to train with my teacher, actually two teachers, uh, one week with one and and two weeks with the other one. And it will be one-on-one teachings. We go into the mountains and both of these teachers are really saying, okay, if we want to know what Mikasui was doing, we have to go into the mountains, we have to meditate, we have to really uh, find that Reiki within ourselves. There is no, as you said, there's no magic button what we can press. And, you know, this is another thing often what you you hear in the Reiki community or on forums. Uh, A lot of people say, oh, I, I did Reiki one, two or three six years ago, but I feel it's not working anymore. I need to be reattuned. Um, mm-hmm. well, it's not necessarily that they need to be reattuned. They just need to practice more. Um, or, for example, nowadays also we see this a lot. Oh, can you send me healing? A lot of people ask for healing. And what is wonderful, don't get me wrong, because it's nice to receive healing and it's nice to... But it, it also, for me, is very much... Uh, uh, a thing where we always look externally instead of, hey, let me look deep inside of me and can I find that healing power within myself? And mm-hmm. it, for me, the, uh, the whole system of Reiki is really about empowering yourself. So, for example, yes. the Reiki tree symbol and mantra, Daikomyo, what is, uh, is said, means empowerment, uh, has become very externalized and said, oh, you only use it during an empowerment on someone but actually traditionally it was about self-empowering so the symbol and mantra was about you empowering yourself because i cannot empower other people if i haven't empowered myself 
You know, right. I always say in class, I cannot give you tea if I don't have tea. It's impossible. Yeah. Or I, we all know that I cannot give you love and compassion if I, I'm not really love and compassionate to myself. Right. And even with that, you talk about intimacy, which I thought was, you know, very interesting also to read. You talk about intimacy and the idea of being Reiki versus doing Reiki. So can you yeah. talk some more about that? Yeah. Well, the intimacy is really, uh, first of all, for me to really find that inner great bright light because we have covered it up with all these layers of worries and fear. I cannot do it. I'm not. With ourselves. And what I mean by that is also we have to become therefore very honest with ourselves. We have to look uh, beyond that ego kind of thing, the I thing. So it's very, very intimate. And uh, when we, and when we work with someone else, we have to be intimate with them. And, but I think sometimes we get a bit confused that intimate means sex. I'm not talking right. about sex. But really, uh, the <laughs> intimacy is, is so close that, uh, that we come back to that non-dual space or the oneness space again, you know? Mm-hmm. Then we're really intimate. And if you think about it, if I... If you lay on the table and I place my hands on you to do some hands-on healing, then most of the time for the observer, they might say, oh, France is doing hands-on healing on Yolanda, or France is touching Yolanda. But if you really look carefully, then you are touching me at the same time, right? Right. Because your, your body is touching my hand, at the same time, your energy is touching me and my energy is touching you. So that's really that intimacy where what we have to see is that, oh, actually, it looks like France is touching Yolanda. But if I look carefully, it's an intimate dance where not only France is touching Yolanda, but Yolanda is also touching France. Even you talking about that um it reminds me of the section of the book where you're talking about protection and, you know, there's a lot of ideas around that and what we give or pick up and all of these things energetically from um, Mm -hmm. other people. Although, I mean, even outside of Reiki, just in our daily interactions, like we're exchanging energy and we're connected with each other. So I, I don't think it's even just in the, the realm of having a session, but I agree. Reminded me of this session that I had actually not that long ago, and you spoke about in the book about how someone may see something, say like smoke coming out of a person's face, and they may think that it's bad and they label it this way. So I had a session where I saw something, you know, that we may look at and think it's not so pretty. But I remembered because a teacher of mine told me to see the light in all things because everything is light. And, you know, what we hold in mind, just like what you speak of, it transforms things energetically. Like the energy we put into or how we hold it or how we perceive it affects what it is or what it becomes. Yeah, yeah. You fell away for a second, so (laughs) that's okay. Oh, sorry. But so 
it, it was interesting the way that you spoke about protection, and I was wondering if you could talk about that and how us recognizing the light within us and how that in of itself is our protection. Yeah, I mean, like we we can always build up a war, uh, like a barrier. So if I do a treatment right. on someone and I have to protect myself, then in a way I'm, I'm creating a barrier between my client and me. And also, mm-hmm. if, I, if I build a barrier, then the barrier can be touched and it can be, even if it's a, a, a mind barrier. Uh, right. If there is no barrier, I was. I, I, I cannot damage the sunlight. I cannot cut it. I cannot hurt it. I cannot blow it up. It's untouchable, and yet we benefit from it. So right. if we become that light, then we realize the same thing. There's no need for protection. We can just be very open and expanded. But this is why I think it's so important in the system of Reiki also we can see that in level one, where you're being taught uh, the Joshin Kokiho traditionally, what is like a breathing meditation practice into the Hara, mm-hmm. what is just below your belly button, that if we do that, then we become really stable. We become really grounded and centered. Uh, the second, uh, in the second level, the first symbol where if you visualize it and you visualize that it's like a, a circle what goes inwards, then again, our mind goes inwards and actually it, it becomes more grounding. So the first right. symbol and mantra also has a very grounding nature to it. And I think that is so important to, as a practitioner, as a teacher, to make sure that we centered and grounded uh, because then we actually start to realize over time we don't have to disconnect ourselves because it's impossible because we're always interconnected already. Right. You know? And that's a really interesting thing, too, that you bring up because in this realm, um, I think a lot of people focus a lot on, um, in terms of chakras, say, they would focus more on their upper chakras and people connect that idea to just their spiritual energy and kind of negate the grounding aspect and, you know, our lower Dandian and not all of that. So um, could you talk about the, how that is beneficial to us, like that grounding and being here and centered and connected? Yeah. Uh, one of my teaching tools, I, I like teaching tools because uh, mm-hmm. either a visual or teaching stories, and one of the teaching tools I always travel around with is a weeble wobble. Do you know those weeble wobbles? Uh, yeah. Yes. Were, yeah. Toy. So we, uh-huh. weebles wobble, but they don't fall. And so <laughs> I, in, in the class, I always put the weeble wobble on the table. I give it a whack and it starts to weeble and it comes back up. And I asked the, the students, I said, why isn't it falling over? And I said, oh, because the weight is at the bottom. And I said, well, this happens normally in our life. Some, a client says something or during a treatment we see something or we feel something, we experience something, and we fall over. And we stay worried mm-hmm. and fearful and angry and upset for one week or for a day or for six months. 
and then finally we get back up again a little bit. But if we are like a weeble wobble, then we can feel those things because the weeble wobble is still moving, but actually very quickly we come back up again. And right. that comes if only if we really have a very strong foundation or that our mind and energy is really at the bottom of our body. Very interesting. And we can see this too uh, in, in nature, you know, like, uh, for example, again, Mikasui went into the mountains to really connect to Reiki, uh, to his true self. But true self is also the mountain, is also the tree. And Japanese spiritual teachings, uh, the mountain is also seen as, as I said, as Reiki. And if you look, for example, at Mikusui's uh, uh, name he got after he died in Japan, when you died and afterwards you get a name, the first two characters of his name is Reisan, what means the mountain of Reiki. Um, and therefore also uh, we have to become a, like a mountain, a mountain, uh, the mountain top is mountains don't grow that way. Mountains. Some of Reiki that points towards make yourself as stable like the Weeble Wobble or like a mountain so that we can grow really high and reach heaven. That makes perfect sense. Again, it's one of those things that you don't hear much in, you know, just in general conversation about Reiki. And there's so much in your book that you touch on that I think would be so beneficial, again, like I said, not only to practitioners, but to anyone who's really looking to connect with themselves on deeper levels. But from reading your book um, and thinking about how many different practices and teachings that there are out there, it seems very clear that part of your journey is focused on understanding what the system of Reiki really is about as it was practiced by Yusui. So yeah. with all that you've learned and experienced over the years, what would you want people to know and understand about Reiki? Or what is that takeaway that you usually hope that you instill in your students? Um, well, one of the most important things, what I see more and more uh, in my classes, and that, that is specifically also uh, the deeper I am going in my own practice within the system of Reiki, that uh, mm-hmm. that they can really feel that that groundedness and centeredness, but also that they really have a direct experience of that non-dual space. Now we can talk right. about right. for hours about non-duality or oneness, but actually uh, within our particularly our Reiki three classes the way it's structured and some of the practices we do with hands-on healing, with the symbol center mantras, we actually gain, for most of us, gain a very direct experience of this non-duality. And also Mm -hmm. they get a really direct experience of being Reiki instead of doing Reiki. And, um, and, and that is something I think what a lot of 
students uh, take away. For example, I had a student in a class just recently. Uh, I was teaching in um, in uh, Canada, where I was just thinking, where was I again? Uh, <laughs> so in in Canada, and one of the ladies in the class, he had done like you uh, about maybe six, seven different Reiki teacher classes with some Japanese mm-hmm. teachers, with some Western teachers, and then when we were actually practicing the attunements, initiations, or reju with each other, uh, the, her comment was, I have never felt anything like this before. This is really taking me to a very different place of intimacy, of non-duality, of oneness. And, and she said, this for me helps me to also understand, therefore, that is not just about doing a ritual, but it's actually about a way of life. That we can lead a way of life of being intimate with nature, intimate with our surroundings in that non-dual space of love and compassion and kindness. It's interesting, even that comment, it just brings you all the way back to the precepts or the Reiki principles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, interesting, those, you know, the Reiki principles, because I think um, a lot of times it's taught as just something to memorize. And from what you've shared, Mm -hmm. it seems more like something to embody and to really become. And it does become a way of life. And, you know, when I first learned, I told people I would joke that they became mantras for me throughout my day, you know, going through different experiences in life and connecting with the energy of whichever one fit the moment. But one of the things um, that also comes up a lot around Reiki and I wanted to ask you about was the distance sessions because it was really interesting um, what you wrote about that as far as, you know, whether or not you need a proxy and connecting to that being Reiki, like you've been talking about and connecting to that oneness. So could you share Mm. your ideas around that in the distant practice? Yeah. uh, Actually, what is really interesting, the, the, the mantra for that Honsha session, and if you kind of translate it, we can translate it as my original nature is a non-dual thought, or in other words, Mm -hmm. uh, I am I am non I'm having a non-dual thought. So uh <clears throat> it it doesn't say anything about distance. It's really saying about that non-dual thought or that oneness, that interconnectedness. Oneness. And mm-hmm. in that oneness space, really, if we set the intent of love and compassion and kindness, again, really about the precepts or not being angry and not being worried, then in a way, we don't really need permission. I always say, if I walk in the street and I see someone walking towards me, I'm not going to stop them and say, excuse me, do you mind if I just... Really, that is what the system of... I think in some traditions is really about doing Reiki. So you you kind of are judging and labeling. So say you do a distance healing on someone 
and you, you label and judge or distinguish, this is good, this is bad, this needs an emotional healing symbol, this needs some extra power, this needs some... So we're also kind of doing something to someone. And I think if we're doing something to someone, I think in, in, in a way we need to have a certain permission. But if we're just being Reiki and let go of the doing, and this is again where I like the uh, Reiki tree symbol and mantra, the great bright light, then we are mm-hmm. like the sun. <clears throat> the sun doesn't ask permission to shine. The sun also doesn't say, oh, that person over there needs two rays of sunshine. The person over there gets <laughs> 10 rays and the person over there gets nothing. The sun is just shining right. that for light. But we take accordingly to what we need. And uh, this also is pointed out in the word Reiki itself. Uh, within the word Rei or spiritual, uh, traditionally, it stood for... In a way, it's the non-dual rain. But it's the same thing. If it rains, the rain is not saying, I'm going to rain two drops on that little flower over there, and I'm going to rain six buckets on the big tree. The rain is just raining without any judging, labeling, or distinguishing. And the trees, the shrubs, the people, the animals, they take accordingly. And Healing is a little bit limiting because if I walk on the street, I cannot touch everybody and say, excuse me, can I do some hands-on healing? Excuse me, excuse me, <clears throat> you know, I'll, I'll be in trouble. But right. I can walk around in this great bright light of no anger, no worry, no fear, being grateful and being kind and compassionate. And from that kind and compassionate, no anger, worry, brightness space what has a huge energetic potential people can already start to heal themselves that makes sense a little bit yeah that makes perfect sense it does and um it's an interesting thing i had the very first time i had an experience with that and it was prior to reiki i didn't know anything about energy work and i met a woman who was um uh, she was buddhist I forget what she's referred to as, maybe a mama. And mm-hmm. I, as you got closer to this woman, you could literally feel like your energy shifting and there was something radiating off of this woman and you just felt like you were melting and just at peace, just coming closer and closer into her space. And I'll never forget that. And when I read what you were talking about in the book, what you just shared, that's what it reminded me of. And how yeah. her energy was I mean, doing anything, her just being was shifting the environment. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, again, you know, we can see that in people like the Dalai Lama, Thich Nhat Hanh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, when I was in Japan in 2003, I met uh, a, a Buddhist priest who in Japan was seen as a, as a living Buddha. And just talking to him for five minutes, it was amazing. The, the, yeah. the energy and the shifts and the healing. I thought I received 10 initiations and five treatments <laughs> in one go. 
and right. he was like a Seven Eleven. He was open twenty four hours a day. <laughs> but the most the, the most exciting thing was that when the next day when I was thinking about it, and I thought, wow, he is just like you and me. He's just like any other human being. What means that right. we all have the potential within us. We just right. have to remember it. And this is why Mikasui really said, okay, meditate upon the precepts, see hands-on healing as meditation, uh, meditate on the mantras, meditate on the symbols, meditate the breathing practices like Joshin Kokiho and Hatsureho, do the meditation practice of initiation or reju or attunement. And by applying those, then we can all be in this beautiful, great, bright light. And I think that really would make a huge difference in the world. I mean, hands-on healing on other people, of course, can make a difference in the world. But the world would become very, very different if we all start to embody the precepts. Yes. And I think that's what it all comes back to. I mean, us doing the work on ourselves and recognizing that light in ourselves and, you know, strengthening that light and spreading it out, which, you know, yeah. you've done in this book. And I, I am very thankful that I got to talk to you about this. And hopefully, you know, because there's so much that you discussed that we there's no way we could have covered in this hour. But <laughs> hopefully people will, you know, get the book, read the book, because it, it does have so much good information in there. Um, one of the things Thanks. I wanted you to share before we go today is what your workshops are, because you have Reiki classes, but you have other types of workshops. So what do you offer, and where will you be in the next few months? So uh, actually, I'm starting uh, on this Friday. I'm teaching in Sonoma in California, and that's a, okay. a Shimpanen Reiki 3 class. They are three-day classes. Mm-hmm. But uh, the three-day classes for me is, uh, is really the beginning. So after that, we hold hands with each other and we walk that path of Mikasui's teachings. Then uh, also I do what I call like a Reiki play day, which is a one-day class where we just experiment what Mikasui's teachings were about. Uh, I, I don't really focus a lot on historical sites I really because we can talk about history till we're blue in the face but for me again right. uh, we can the most important thing is is having that direct experience of the precepts or having that direct experience of your true self or of that great bright light and so I will be in Cincinnati uh, in, in a week's time then I'm doing three uh, four day Reiki retreats here in the U.S. this year, so one in California, just uh, about an hour and a half north of San Francisco, one near Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, and one that's in September, and one in June in the border of Massachusetts, Vermont, and then I will be teaching in New York, I will be teaching in some other places, (laughs) (laughs) so... Too many. I always get confused. Yeah. 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 What is is the best way for people to connect with you? Which website or in your Facebook? How can we find you online? Yeah. So you can uh, look at my website, what is uh, www.ihreiki.com. And 
every week we have new blogs coming up. We have one of the biggest blog sections on the web about the system of Reiki. Uh, then we have the IH Reiki Facebook page or International House of Reiki. And then I also have mm-hmm. a France Tina uh, Facebook page where it's a little bit more personal, but uh, you can look that up as well. And then once you leave here, you'll be um, teaching back in Europe again, or are you taking a break? Yeah, actually, after, um, after well, this has been a very busy time. After, uh, yeah. uh, after this trip, I'll be home in Australia for a week, and then uh, kind of most of May I'm in Japan doing my own personal training. Uh, because I also believe that, you know, as a teacher – we also still need to have teachers and we have to go deeper. Yeah. So that's one of my personal practices. So yeah, going into the mountains and uh, my teachers are, um, one of them is a, a Shigendo yeah. priest or, and a Tendai priest and a Shigendo priest. So I, I train with them. And my focus for those training is really about what would have Mikasui practiced himself when he was undergoing his own training. Uh, And Mm -hmm. for me to see that, because if we look at Chokurei, Seheki, Honsaseshin, and Daikomyo, for example, we see very clear traces to Japanese esoteric teachings. And so that is what I'm exploring a lot myself. But again, most important for me is to have that direct experience. And um, so after three weeks in May in Japan, then I'll be back in the U.S. in June for a retreat in Vermont, or it's on the border of Vermont, Massachusetts, and um, a Shimpanen training in New York. And then I'm going back to Australia, then I teach a retreat in the north of Australia, what is absolutely wonderful. It's kind of on the beach, so that's uh, one of my favorite retreat places there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so... So it's a busy year this year, but I love it. And it's uh, another thing. Yeah. What I really enjoy about it is creating a beautiful uh, Reiki community on a global level where we can communicate and share and practice together. Yeah, no, that's a yeah. beautiful thing. Yeah. And one yeah. of the things, too, I wanted to make sure to check with you or ask you about before you go is, again, with the title of the book, The Inner Heart of Reiki, um, Rediscovering the True Self, is that really, in, you know, in your opinion, what Reiki is all about? Is it ultimately about us discovering our true self? And what would you, and how would you even describe Reiki to someone who's curious about it, hasn't had any experience with it? Um, normally, if I, if I say it in a very simple way, then I might say the system of Reiki is a spiritual practice, or I, sometimes I can leave the spiritual out, uh, a practice to uh, rediscover your true self. And then maybe they might say, what does it mean, your true self? Then I might say, well, that means that we lead a life what is less angry, less worried, less fearful, more grateful, more being true to our way and our being, and more compassionate. So it's very simple in a way, but very profound to actually practice. And then I, then I might say, oh, how do you do it? How do you practice it? And then I say, well, within it we have precepts, hands-on healing, meditation, symbols and mantras, and initiation to help us to remember this true self. 
Yeah. And from this true self, from this rediscovering this great bright light, because as we all know, the more closer to the light we go, the more compassion we have, the more energy we will have. So therefore, from this rediscovering, Oh, I think you fell away again. Oh, that, no, you just came back in. Yeah, I was worried oh. for a moment. I'm like, oh, well, we lost him, but you're back. <laughs> <I know. laughs> We're all sometimes a bit lost, and that's why we have to practice the system of Reiki. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I agree. And I'm, you know, very thankful for Reiki, which is why I even, you know, I started the podcast to, you know, try to create community around this and open um, conversation around it because it opened that doorway for me to start to yeah. look at who I am and connect with who I am. And I think it's such a beautiful um, practice for that reason. And hopefully with everything that you've shared today, you know, I'm sure you've shed so much light about the practice and um, how it can be used intentionally. So I am very thankful for you coming on today and I just wanted to say, um, you know, hopefully maybe you'll come back when you do another book because I'm sure yeah, there'll why be not? more that you have to write and share. Yeah. But uh, I'm looking I'm forward to you. I'm already, so that's good. <laughs> are, are you really? This book just yeah, came out yeah. in what, October? I know. But, I know. Yeah. I, I just had felt I had other things to say. And, and I think also... You know, I think there's so much more hidden within Japan itself about Mikasui, what slowly mm-hmm. I think will come forward. And so it will be an interesting time, I think. But uh, I'm going to say wow. you ask a wonderful question. Oh, thank so you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here and, you know, clearly spreading more light for all of us. So thank you so much. And I just want to let everyone know that if you would like to find out more about Franz and his work, um, again, you can go to his website, which is ihreiki.com, and that's the IH is for International House of Reiki.com. And to purchase his latest book, The Inner Heart of Reiki, be sure to visit Amazon.com, or you can click on the link that's provided in the show description. And I want to say thank you to all of you for joining us today. And remember to always journey in love.